Norse Kydro's ransomware nightmare, trusting a reformed black hat hacker, and the growing danger of cyber extortion. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Norsk Hydro, one of the world's largest aluminum producers, was hit by a crypto-locking ransomware attack this week that began at one of its US plants and has disrupted some global operations. Officials at the Oslo, Norway-based Hydro said the attack began Monday and escalated throughout the evening, affecting multiple business areas globally. Here's ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, with more. Aluminum giant Norsk Hydro has been hit by an attack that appears to have distributed ransomware to multiple systems inside the global company. Hydro, which is based in Oslo and is Norway's second largest business, said the attack appeared to begin at midnight local time on Tuesday, and that it was quickly spotted by its internal IT teams who worked to contain the damage. Roughly 15 hours after the attack, Hydro CFO Ivan Holovic held a press conference. Around midnight Norwegian time, our IT experts noticed uh, unusual activity on our servers within our global IT systems. Through this, we uncovered uh, that Hydro was subject to a serious cyber attack. As the attack was spreading uh, throughout our business, we did take measures to contain and neutralize the attack. Uh, This virus is a so-called encryption virus, or also commonly known as ransom. Uh, virus or ransom attack. We have now isolated all our plants and operation uh, and is switching to somewhat more manual operations and procedures uh, as far as possible throughout the operations. Uh, And it's also important to mention that the attack has so far not had any safety-related incidents attached to it. Hydro has cyber insurance. Hydro also says the ransomware that hit it is called LockerGoga, Security experts say this type of crypto-locking malware is typically only used in highly targeted attacks. In Hydro's case, its attackers appear to have somehow accessed the company's network, then used its own Active Directory services against it, distributing the ransomware to multiple endpoints. In response to press questions about whether Hydro was considering paying a ransom, Holovic said his company has good, recent backups and plans to wipe and restore affected systems. So far, Hydro says some plants in Norway, Qatar, and Brazil have been disrupted as a result of the ransomware outbreak. In response, the company says it has reverted to using a greater degree of more manual operations in multiple facilities, after it had put more automated processes in place a few years back. With that changeover being so recent, however, Hydro said its workforce remains well-versed in these manual processes. Hydro also says it's got more employees working shifts in order to help maintain safety. Let me be clear. The situation for Hydro through this is quite severe. The entire worldwide network is down, affecting our production as well as our office operations. We are working hard to contain and resolve the situation and to ensure safety and security of our employees. Our main priority now is to ensure safe operations and limit the operational and financial impact. Hydro has also been earning plaudits from security experts for its transparent approach to informing customers and the public about the attack, including holding a press conference on the very day that it suffered the ransomware infection. Since then, it's been continuing to issue updates 
and says it's working with Norwegian law enforcement agencies to help trace the attack. What financial impact might the attack have on Hydro? How long might it take to clean up the infection? To both those questions, Hydro says it's too soon to know the answers. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The first ISMG Science of the Year kicked off this week in New York. There are a variety of sessions focusing on new types of fraud and fraud mitigation, such as real-time payments, behavioral biometrics, telecommunication networks, and many others. But one of the highlights for me was the keynote speaker, former black hat hacker with LulzSec and Anonymous, Hector Monsigo, also known as Cebu. In a Q&A session at the end of his keynote, he described his moment of truth, the choice between 124 years in prison or collaborating with the FBI. Here he talks about that moment. I had a good, good conversation with the FBI. The, the agent that arrested me was very realistic. He said, do you really want to do 20, 30 years for a bunch of nerds, to be honest? Which is referring to anonymous, by the way. You know, are you really going to be a martyr? Are you really going to lose your family for that? Um, trust me, a couple of years from now, you're going to realize how ridiculous this entire affair is. But we do know that you have a lot of exploits at hand. We do know that you know about a lot of compromises. And, um, you, know, we, you know, we should open up the conversation. And so my good faith, I gave the FBI immediately access to a cool, uh, access to, I would say, network access to an embassy um, that I had compromised prior to my arrest, including uh, access to the United States Senate web servers. And that was my, you know, olive branch, as it were. So that's where the relationship started with the FBI. So the obvious question with somebody with as much of a reputation as Hector when they turn their skills to good is why should we trust you now? Here's Hector's explanation. Well, that is a fantastic question, and that's a question that I would ask myself if I was an outsider or someone else. Uh, it was a question I was also faced with when I came back, when I, uh, I, was, ban- I was unbanned in 2015. I could get back online at, th- at that time. And, you know, getting a job in the security industry, the same one that you attacked for the last 10 years, I'm sure you can imagine, was, uh, was rather difficult. Um, but I, I do not regret, uh, you know, like that's, that's a life lesson that I had experienced. I appreciate the consequences of my actions, absolutely. It gave me a lot of perspective and it made me who I am today. And it only meant that I had to climb up even harder and prove myself. So now the question is why would someone trust a former black hat? It doesn't have to be me, it could be anybody. And that would be, um, you know, it's all about the, per- the person's merit. You know, the, the, I would say the change the person has made to really get back into the industry. Um, whether it's in the fraud industry or cybersecurity industry, you know, not everyone's a, you know, a lifelong career criminal. Sometimes people make mistakes, they, make, they, they may deviate, sometimes they make decisions without thinking of consequences. And so I was one of those individuals, and once I was in prison, I almost, I almost my family temporarily, I had made the realization that, you know what, at the end of the day, this was not worth it, and um, there's more to life. Now, the reason why this question is also important before we move on here is that, you know, we do have a skill and talent shortage in the cybersecurity industry. Regardless of how you feel about it, there are former hackers that, um, you know, have the skills and talents, 
I'm not saying he should hire them, but I, I do say that he should at least entertain the interview and see where the school level is at. Because at the end of the day, it's very hard. They're actually becoming harder and harder every day to find good workers that could deal with following your policy, enforcing your policy, even understanding your policies, uh, implementation and asset management, and being able to develop documentation for your security team or your employees, being able to educate and train employees that are not as technical savvy. It's a broad industry, it's still in its infancy, and we don't have enough workers. So, you know, sometimes you may have to talk to someone like Hector to, you know, see if you can improve your environment. And that's my answer. Finally, Scott Ferguson, managing editor of ISMG's news desk, got a few minutes to speak with Andre Krell, digital forensics lead at LifeFars at the ISMG Fraud Summit in New York. Here, Andre discusses the growing threat of cyber extortion. Cyber extortion becoming the most massive fraud ever conducted. Because cyber criminals are getting paid in three days, and anyone can be extorted in the cyberspace, right? We have now these digital identities that we created. So we are more known in a digital world than actually in a physical world, right? Everyone has a friends of friends on Facebook or LinkedIn, but they never saw these people. By the way, I have 20,000 connections on LinkedIn, but I maybe only know 30, 40 people really, really well from all those connections, right? So we became very close in a cyberspace. It's very easy to come someone too close in a cyberspace, not in a physical world. That's, that's close to impossible because of the geographical boundaries. But in a cyberspace, we all live on multiple platforms, and it's so easy to cyber extort anyone for the money. Let me give you an example. We have a celebrity, uh, and she is a reporter for very well-known media in New York. She was extorted for half a million, and her block was manipulated and compromised with a statement that she never saw about the political candidate. And the attackers asked her to pay half a million for return those statements being removed. She didn't pay, and they manipulated her block. She almost lost the job. Given Andre's expertise in cryptocurrencies and blockchain, Scott also asked him, what are some of the major security issues today? Here's Andre again. Well, one of the challenges I see is that creating very transparent system in the blockchain might not be the best idea, right? Because it might actually disclose some data that you might not want to disclose as a part of the blockchain. Imagine held records being part of blockchain, but there you have a visibility from various sources to the same data, right? So visibility and confidentiality are the two factors that basically go against each other in a blockchain, right? What needs to stay confidential and what can be visible. Another one is cryptography itself is great, but a blockchain is something what they call the forking, meaning you can split the transactions. And there were multiple weaknesses in this forking process where cryptocurrencies were exploiting because the forking, like this, this almost like a division of a stock, right? Like you split the stock. The same exists for the expansion in blockchain. So right now, Blockchain has a serious issues, in my opinion, with expansion. And that goes a little bit to the digital wallets as well. You talked a little bit about some of the issues with that. What, what's that? What, what are the issues there? So digital wallet is just your wallet in a pocket. It has nothing to do with the banking, right? So often individuals think that, oh, I have my wallet. I have my wallet secure, right? Then my account is secure. And that's a false statement. Because when you have a bank, bank actually is protecting your account. Your wallet, you're responsible, right? So almost you need to create like a layers of wallets where you have operational wallet, your wallet where you keep the money, right? And you lock it up and you maybe power off the computer for a night, right? Completely. But that's, that's the reality. 
So the wallets are not really a banking wallet or wallets where you can hold the money. You have to treat them very carefully because they store real cryptocurrency and that has a monetary value, but the protection is actually not the same as your wallet in your pocket. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.